Well, good morning. If you would, take your Bibles or open your device to Luke chapter 12. And in a moment, not yet, but in a moment, we'll put it on the screen for, uh, for everybody. And those are some great-looking kids, aren't they? Thank God for them. Thank God they're leaving. To, oh, I mean, to be instructed in Jesus uh, nearby. And thank God we'll have a renovated children's space ready for them in uh, mid to late October, we're hearing. But suffer them not to come into me. I've, got, I've just insulted. Always begin your sermon insulting parents. That's always a really <laughs> great way to grow a church, don't you think? Um, hey, let me ask you. Help me out on this. Maybe show of hands. But uh, you got to think. Put on your caps. What denomination of coin uh, would it take for you uh, walking on a street or sidewalk to, to stoop down? I'll use that phrase, to stoop down and, and pick it up. Would you, how many of you do it for a penny? You see a penny, you're going to, really? Wow. I think they're going to be obsolete. Uh, I, I just saw someone who drives a very sporty convertible raise his hand, a big-time professional. Um, I don't know many people that will uh, stoop, stoop down to get a penny. I don't, actually. I think they're on their way to to antiquity, just be done with them. And what about a nickel? Would you, would you stoop down if you see a nickel on the sidewalk? Uh, I, I wouldn't most of the time because I'm kind of a germ thing. That's what, a germ phobe. That's kind of what I got on going on. Y'all pray for me. It's not in the OCD realm, but it, I do need help. But uh, how about a dime? Would you stop uh, and pick up a dime? Some of you, okay. Um, I think I would unless I'm really, really busy. How about a quarter? How many of you would stoop down and you see a quarter? I mean, that's everybody. I mean, that's, you gotta stoop down to get a quarter. Now, doing some studying with uh, one of my friends who's an astrobiological uh, physicist. Um, we're just hanging out talking, you know, and we, we, uh, we adjusted the economy of scales. And we, um, we asked the question comparatively to the wealthiest man in America. Bill Gates' net worth currently is estimated at $50 billion. So doing the economy of scales there. Uh, for Bill Gates, he would have to think about, you ready for this? He'd have to think about our, my quarter if he's going to bend down, stoop down to pick up $47,000. How about that, huh? 40, eh, 46815 maybe not, right? I feel poor compared to Bill Gates, don't you? We all do. This summer with Drew Mellon and several from Fondry Church, uh, our Hard Places ministry, one that we partner with. We were in a, a city in Cambodia of 2.3 million people, Phnom Penh, and one of the face, first days we went out into the province and we were hanging out with people. We um, preached and worshiped at a church there and then just went out to visit families. And most of the families, uh, Drew can tell you, man, these folks were, were primitive. Uh, 2014, living the same year we do, but they were out there with um, no walls in their homes and dirt floors and uh, just uh, roofs that were very... Uh, precarious, And I noticed with each of the families, including families with young children, there were just, for their beds, there were just wood boards. And, you know, beds have come a long way, haven't they? If you look at the evolution of beds, beds have gone from rock to dirt to hay to spring coil to memory foam. Today we have Tempur-Pedic, you know, comforter, feather beds with lots of uh, throw pillows and frilly things. I tell my wife that there's a reason they're called throw pillows. I get on the bed, I throw them, you know, right before... Bed, but I, I, I'm in a village and I'm looking at what they have or what they don't have and I'm feeling very, very wealthy. Bill Gates makes me feel poor. Being in the backwoods of Cambodia makes me feel wealthy. What city would you say uh, is working hard to personify bling bling kind of wealth? Uh, what would you guess? What city in America would you say that's just shining with bright lights that wants to kind of personify, exemplify extravagance and wealth? What would you guess? Okay, looking for Vegas. I don't know if anybody said Vegas. That's what we're looking for. 
uh, not Stark Vegas, but uh, Las Vegas. And everybody knows that Las Vegas is touted. I mean, legitimately, they have the biggest hotels and casinos and circus shows. They have the most decadent parties, the most elaborate events. And it builds itself with a slogan. I know you know this. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, let me tell you what stays in Vegas. According to an article this month in Psychology Today, Las Vegas um, leads the nation in alcoholism, drug abuse, teen pregnancy, incarceration, and suicide. It seems that this desire to acquire that has gone haywire is not given us all that it promised that it would deliver. This morning, I want to talk to you about a subject that's... Um, really getting the best of a lot of us. A subject that preachers should not shy away from. Jesus talked about the subject of, of money and generosity. He talked about it more than heaven, hell, and prayer combined. In fact, look at this. You guys will probably say that the, the, the art of forgiveness is, is very important. This week I had a staggering moment with someone who had I, I, what I believe was a real uh, shake-up call in this area of reconciliation. I believe God is doing something big in the life of this family. The word forgive is mentioned in the Bible 121 times. Forgiveness is really important, isn't it? Belief, you would say belief, having faith in God is, is supremely important. It's mentioned in Scripture 289 times. Prayer, would you say, how many of you say prayer is pretty important, right? It's really important to pray. And prayer is mentioned some 367 times in the sum of Scripture. But the word give is mentioned 1,433 times. How does that strike you? And let me say this morning, this, the rest of the balance of our time is not getting something from you. It's about desiring something for you. You see, Jesus didn't teach on this subject so much so re repetitively uh, so that he could get people's money. He wanted to keep people from allowing money to get them. We're very well aware, all of us, of the phrase in Matthew 16 where Jesus said, for where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. Jesus in the same passage of Matthew 6 says that you cannot serve God and money. Notice he didn't say you shouldn't serve God and money. You ought not to do it. It's, it's better if you don't serve God and money. What did he say? You cannot serve God and money. Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives us a really good story. I think to prod a little bit, to poke into the real motives of where our heart is, where our, our treasure is. And in Luke chapter 12, he, he shares about a man. Before that, let me put up this passage, Luke 12, 13. We're going to uh, kind of walk through these. I'm going to comment, give give some comment as we look at specific passages. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now imagine that. We don't know about this in our day, do we? A family fight over money. Can't imagine that, right? Never, never, had, never had that happen in any of your families. Uh, somebody once said, where there's a will, there's a relative. And here's a man saying, Hey, Jesus... This is, this is what I want. This is a story we're about to learn of a successful man. He's an entrepreneur. He's an innovator. In the South, we would say he's a go-getter. But he's fallen to the fallacy that his self-worth, his security, 
and his satisfaction can be found in the Las Vegas bling bling. His desire to acquire has gone haywire. Look at the next verse in Luke 12. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Leave that up for a moment. Verses 14 and 15. Jesus does not say in this passage that possessions are bad. He doesn't say money is evil. What he does, he doesn't warn against acquiring. He warns against arrogance. Do you know there's a lot of wealthy people in Scripture? Job, Abraham, David, Solomon, Barnabas, Nicodemus. It's not a criticism against affluence. It's a criticism against arrogance. This man, in just a few passages, you'll see in a second, he uses the word I and me nine times in two verses. He never ponders the thought. I don't know if some of you have. He's thinking all of his life about an earthly portfolio, about what he can get here. And never, Jesus says, never does he stop and think, God, never does he ask, God, is there a heavenly portfolio? Is it true, as someone once said, that what we weave in time, we wear in eternity? Is this life pointing to the next? Does how we live here portend our next life? The next verse here. And he told them a parable. Here Jesus lands into the story. There was a real man, and now he's making this up. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? Here, notice the eyes and the me's, the self-centeredness here. What's the largest section in any bookstore? Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Borders. Well, there, there's no more Borders. Independent booksellers like Lemuria, the biggest section of any bookstore, including Christian bookstores. Self-help section. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I, Jesus is a masterful teacher, isn't he? And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You can tell this man in all likelihood had his self-worth tied up in his net worth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that you've been bought with a price. I know one marriage that's under a great weight, a financial burden, and this wife loves to shop, and she's always had a lavish lifestyle. And I believe some freedom is coming just by them sitting down and talking in the presence of someone that can help them, and hopefully in the presence of God who will work in them to say, we can be free, that, that I don't love you because of these things. I love you because of who you are, and that's the central message of the gospel. Have you noticed we like to preach the gospel in some fashion every single Sunday? And the good news is it's not your net worth, it's not your striving, it's not what you earn economically or spiritually or in any way. Your, your self-worth is not tied up to your net worth. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, hey, glorify God. Glorify Him in your body, in this material world, in your physical being. Why? Because you've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, His only Son. There is your worth. And what could that do to you? How much freedom 
could that bring into your life? Maybe I'm just talking to a few people, but I, I don't think so. Next passage. Oh, let me, let's stop there for a second. Take that off the screen if you would. I can be bossy sometimes. But in a modern context, I think Jesus would tell us that here is a Wall Street workaholic. And he has worked 60, 70, 80s hour a week. It's hard to tell because of the connectivity. Everything's connected. He's always on the clock, always has his ambitions on the front burner of his life. And this man uh, makes it home eventually in the evening and walks past the family, not even a, a peck with his wife, and goes up to his uh, home office and starts checking on the computer and doing work and looking at his portfolio and thinking about his ambitious ways. I and mine and I and I and mine. And he feels a pressure in his chest. That migraine is coming back, but this time it seems a little different. It tingles up his, uh, his arm all the way to his upper torso and into his neck region. It's more than a Maalox moment. Something's happening here. Hours later, his wife comes up, and uh, at first blush, she smiles and shakes her head in exasperation, falling asleep in the home office again. She discovers that he's gone. And the irony of this Wall Street workaholic is that he was a master planner. He had a, he had a plan B and C. He had a contingency plan for everything in his life. But he didn't think about this day. He didn't think that this, this day would come so early. God doesn't keep it a secret, church. We're all going to die. It's 10 out of 10, 100 out of 100. No contingency plan. The funeral that day is probably in a church like this, and it's packed. There's, there's people in the balcony, as there are today, and uh, there are um, exaggerations, hyperboles, great things that are said about this man. They're running out of adjectives uh, because he was just so successful. He accumulated so much wealth. Especially people in the financial world, they mourn the loss, and they celebrate his life. But Jesus here in Luke 12 eulogizes him very differently. Jesus says in verse 20, Fool, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Later in Luke 12, fast forwarding a little bit, later in Luke 12, Jesus uh, tells people, the disciples and all those who would listen, he says, let's go bird watching. Let's, let's go watch some birds. I've become a bird watcher just because I moved to Fondren and there's a lot of trees and squirrels and things happening out in the backyard. And Jesus says, look at these birds. It's verse 30, 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn and yet God feeds them. What beautiful language and what an amazing truth of how much more value are you than the birds. Jesus is saying, Look at them. No wrinkles on their skin. No headaches, no major migraines, no high blood pressure, no therapist hanging out with these birds, no stockpile in a Swiss or Cayman's bank account. And God provides for them. And these birds, they don't store up. They don't stockpile bird seed in their barns. They don't have barns full of bird seed. In fact, these birds, do you know this? Man, they're one worm away from extinction. It's just a daily thing for them. And look at verse 30-something. I've isolated that passage. Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
Jesus always has something. He always has an action point. Don't you like the, the, the opportunity just to kind of listen and listen to some poetry and ponder it a little bit and the, the, the careful crafting of words? And, but then just, you can just walk away with no action steps. And Jesus is saying, hey, in light of these really important eternal truths, in light of the one thing that's able to grip your heart like nothing else, listen and consider, but look what you and I ought to do. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in heavens that doesn't fail. Where no thief approaches and no, circle this word, where no moth destroys. Now the word moth in Greek is nemarkos. It's where we get our word neiman marcus. <laughs> not, not really. But the idea there. Jesus is saying, man, learn from some things around. You know the, the best writers, the, the contemplative writers, the people that the men and women that I read that move me, the people I enjoy hanging out with the most are those who just look at the simple things that God has provided. In a world that's artificial, that's bling bling, we just, just look at simple things and learn from them. Do you do that? Do you have a practice where you sit still and look? And, and you know, Yogi Berra said, you can, you can observe a lot by watching. And just to, to, to live in that way. And here Jesus gives this, us this wonderful example. Consider. Consider nature and learn from them. This man, this fool, the man that others praise but God said is a fool, who didn't think about heavenly treasures, only an earthly stockpile. He was trying to find his self-worth. He was trying to find his security. And that verse kind of punctures a hole in security, doesn't it? And not only that, but his satisfaction. Doggone it, uh, if, if Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and the Rolling Stones aren't doing a 50th anniversary, huh? Have you seen these guys? They're, they're coming out on stage with their hearing aids, Gary, and they've got their walkers, you know, coming out there to party and to make music. And one of their great anthems has become an, an anthem of all of us, I believe. I can't get no satisfaction. Hey, hey, hey. And I think I'm satisfied in my house because I am so abundantly blessed. And we've learned over the last year and a half that a new dog in an old house can, can uh, put you out on the street if you're not careful. It's just expensive. But I, I, I can look at a eight, I'll be happy with my eight-foot ceilings until I come to your house and see your nine-foot ceilings, right? Or I can look at the beautiful uh, nine-inch crown molding at my own pad, and then I get to your house and see 10-inch crown molding, right? Some of you will go to lunch today, and you'll be with one or two people, and you'll say, oh, are, what are you hungry for? And they'll say, you can almost say it with me, they'll go, I don't know. What are you hungry for? And we are a people. We just don't know what we're hungry for. When we were newlyweds, Susan and I, one of the big news stories from that summer was JFK and a, a flight that he went on with a couple of family and friends. And he was the pilot, this son of a president. And many of you will know in, in this year, in 95, I believe, he, 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 the plane, the people, they, they went missing. And as I recall, it, it was, truly was the most riveting story around the globe at the time, and it took days to find this plane and the NTSB concluded that the cause of the crash wasn't weather related. It wasn't mechanical failure. It was what they called spatial disorientation. Where a pilot 
can, uh, due to a, a number of factors, can just uh, lose where they are. They, uh, a pilot can, can um, have a loud popping noise and just get scared, right? Um, a pilot can be disoriented by something that happens unexpectedly. And uh, up is down and down is up and left is right and right. And they just can't seem to find his way. And this story, I believe, in Luke 12 is that type of story. Jesus is showing us that spatial disorientation is we're all prone. We can all kind of forget where we are and lose a sense of the self that God has made us. A self who, as the uh, famous French physicist, philosopher, mathematician of the 16th century, Blaise Pascal said, uh, there is a God-shaped hole in our heart that only he can feel. And this morning as we round toward th third base and start thinking about heading home with this sermon, I want to share with you what I believe that God, I just want to talk to you candidly, God, I believe, wants to test you. I believe that he wants to test me. I know he does. Can I get a hearty amen from my wife? I know that he wants to test us. I, I, I love that story. In ornithology, you know, it's the study of birds. And there was a final exam in college. It was a cumulative final exam that really had great weight. And this professor was known for giving tough final exams. And the student showed up, and could you believe the exam was that he had 25 birds covered, pictures of birds covered. Only the feet of these 25 different species of birds were exposed. And the professor said, here's your final exam. Identify these 25 birds by just looking at their feet. And the kids were, they were all disappointed. This one student, uh, a passionate guy, he was about, he was, he got up to, he was angry. He called the professor out and said, this is ridiculous. Nobody can do this. No one saw this coming. I'm out of here. The professor stood up and said, young man, if you leave, if you go across that door, uh, you will fail the, the final and this class. Who are you, young man? Who, who are you? And the professor, the, the young man rather lifted up his pants legs, kicked off a shoe, and said, I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> I'm convinced that God gives us tests. Philip, in the New Testament, in the early part of Christ's ministry, was at that time probably a curiosity seeker, not yet a, a committed believer. And he, uh, there's a scene where Jesus, familiar to some of you, is about to feed a whole lot of people. And Jesus didn't want to just perform a miracle. He wanted people ultimately to love and trust him. Do you know that? Some of you are just here seeking God's hand today. Just give me what I want, God. I want your hand. Give me that hand of blessing. Rescue me. Give me this thing that I need. God, I'm going to give you a couple of days. I'm going to give you a couple of weeks. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to go to church. Just give me what I need. You're seeking only God's hand. And Jesus wants us to seek the face of God. God for who he is, not just what he can provide. And Jesus wants to show them in that moment. He's not just going to feed a bunch of folks with limited resources. He wants them to learn that they can trust in him. Because you see, the message is simple. So simple, I think we miss it. Jesus can do way more than you think he can in your life. And even when it's dire, he can do way more than you ever ask or imagined. And Jesus, it says this in John 6, 6. He asked this only to what? Say it, church. Only to test him. I want you to see it. Only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Hey, you know what? It might irritate some of you. If you're in between the proverbial hard and a rock place, but God knows what he's doing. And God isn't surprised. You are, 
I am. I don't like uncertainty. How many raise, raise a hand if you just don't like uncertainty? You want it all mapped out. You don't like the jazz, right? You don't, you don't like it. You want it all to be laid out. You want an itinerary, right? You want to know what's coming. And Jesus is showing us, he's testing him. And here's what I want to say to you. I believe God wants to test you. If you're visiting here, uh, I could say you came on a good day. Or there's a part of me, that human size, that says you came on a bad day. We don't always do this at Fondren Church. But I want to say I believe we're in a great season in the life of our church. And I wonder, I got, I got very emotional. I'll just tell you, last night there were tears and goosebumps. And I was just thinking about what we're going to say when we look back to the year 2014 in the life of Fondren Church. God secured our permanent home. We've only been here five months. What else does he have in store for us? And it is true for the next few minutes. You'll see that we do want something from you. But far deeper than that, we want something for you. Very quickly, I want to tell you about a story in 1 Kings chapter 17. I'd love for you later. Some of you come, you fold your arms, say, come on, preacher, let's go deep today. Give me some depth. I want, I want it deep. Well, I want to tell you to go home and read Luke 12 and later go, read 1 Kings 17. And here's a story of God tests two people. It's not a silly ornithology test. It's, it's, it's sort of a test like Philip got. But he tests first the prophet Elijah, the prophet of God, who had to be on the run. Look what it says in 1 Kings. we got a few of these passages. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded, are you ready for this? For the ravens to feed you there. Now, do you think Elijah had to think about that? Go, and I'm going to feed you. Look at the next couple of verses. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. That's always good, by the way. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread. Are you kidding me? And meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Every day he had to trust God. Every day. Can I say it, church? Every meal for him was a miracle. Look next. After a while, the brook dried up where he's about to meet somebody here because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow, a single mom, there to feed you. Now look at what God asked of this single mom. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. God commands Elijah to ask for food. Don't miss this. Not from a man, not from a Jew, not from a wealthy person. From a Gentile. From someone who was under-resourced. Unemployed. Lost her man. She was single. And God asked Elijah to do this. And remarkably, he asked this of the widow. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. One of the most common commands in all scripture. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself. And your son. 
If I could say circle any word, it'd be that word first. Some of you are waiting on everything to be right in your life before you take any step of obedience. You're just waiting for the mood to occur, the magic to happen, the moment, to get, the stars to align. And God says to her, and I think he says to you and to me, first, but first, step out there. You don't know where the provision is coming. You don't know what's going to happen here. But first, do this. Make a little cake and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent at the jug of oil. That's all she had, a jar of flour and a jug of oil. It shall not be spent, not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. The last idea. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Put yourself in that single mom's sandals. Put yourself in Elijah's sandals. Man, there was no Whole Foods to shop at. There was no Babaloo to sit down to. There was no Yeti cooler to put things in. Are you kidding me? Go to a brook and wait. Wait on who, what, huh, ravens. And then ask this of this woman. And then to, for this woman to be in the place she is. And then for this woman to step out in faith with all that she doesn't have. And I believe, I believe it points to Philippians 4.19. Some of you can quote this in your sleep. Would you say it with me, church? Let's give this verse a hearty outcry here. Let's say it together. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will provide. When I was five years old, I got my first allowance. And my dad told me 50 cents a week. Long before there was a rapper with such a name. He said, man, 50 cents. Every Friday, I got 50 cents for doing such and such. Really nothing. But 50 cents. Starting next Friday, little five-year-old RG, 50 cents. It's payday. I love payday. And when he gave me that first allowance, y'all, this was a lot. I tell you, I'll just tell you, it was 42 years ago. Doesn't that surprise you that I'm 47? Just, you can't <laughs> believe it. I mean, let's just close church down right now. He said, we want to encourage you to do what we do, to tithe. I'm like, Dad, tithe. Give 10%. So in 50 cents, what's that, son? He said, a nickel. He goes, we want to encourage you to do that because everything is the Lord's. And you do this first, and it'll teach you to trust him, and you'll sow seeds into your life. You'll reap this later. And he asked me, he said, so what do you think? And little five-year-old Robert Green, whose sins, by the way, are many, I said in that moment, I said, I think I want to do a dime. Now, I would not, we don't have the time or no one has the inclination or the stomach to sit here and listen to all my sins that I've committed. I have dishonored the Lord. I have been disobedient. I'm not near as bad as most of you, but I've done some bad stuff. <laughs> in my life, all right? There's a reason I'm a preacher, maybe. I don't know. But I'll never forget that. And God created in me a consistent pattern of giving even as a little boy and even as a little bit. If you think today I've twisted a scripture, pulled something out of nowhere, then I'm just going to say, I don't say it in a haughty way, but you don't know your scripture. 
Because repeatedly throughout, God gives you and I an example of somebody who just had a little bit. And they give their little bit to God. And you know what? It really matters. And I'm a 47-year-old man, and I'm the pastor of Fondren Church. And I don't know our future, but I know the three short years of our past. And it's been three years. We've been meeting weekly as a church for three years. And this summer, God has provided for us this home, Woodland Hills, to be our permanent home. We've secured this home. What a great testimony of his faithfulness. And when I left a really beautiful church, a mega church that I loved working for, and we stepped out on faith, uh, our lives and ministry were celebrated. There's a pastor out there, some of you know, I won't say his name, but he's a chip off the old block. And he, he stood up at his church and he just said, man, this guy has meant something to me in college. He meant something to me. And it was, we gushed, they gave us a new MacBook Pro computer, and they had a, a, a party in our honor, and we felt all the love. And about two weeks later, I had to go into that office, and I had to turn in my key, and I had to sign a bunch of forms, and it just felt so cold. And I had a moment of extreme loneliness, sat in the parking lot, and I thought, oh God, what are we doing? And that very day, we had just worked to become chartered as a church, to do our constitution, and that very day, my wife was at a post office in Fonder. We didn't even live here yet. She was at a post office and someone stopped her, someone that worked there, and said, are you Susan Green? How's the church going? And Susan said, ain't nothing happening yet. She said, wait right here. And she made her wait. And then a rave and a... No, um, but she came back. (laughs) She came back and she had a check made out to Fonder Church for $1,000. And a couple of weeks later... A friend, someone who's in the room right now, wrote Fonder Check a church for $30,000. Don't you wonder who it is? Just look around. Who do you think? Just ask someone sitting next to you. Was it you? Was it you? <laughs> and the first preview service that we had as a church, a friend came and wrote a check for $75,000. That person's in the room. Look around. They're in the club level. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and it became clear that God was going to want to provide for us. And I remember going, uh, that little, by the way, that little five-year-old boy started kind of surfacing in me. And a pattern and a consistency of wanting to honor God in my own finances. And that night, some of you know, I, I was in my bedroom with my wife, and she was asleep or about to be asleep, and I rolled onto my knees. I don't do that enough to you, and I just thanked God with tears in my eyes. And I had a sense that he was going to provide for Fondren Church. And I, had a, 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 I made a vow, and I don't do that a lot. I made a vow to the Lord that that $100,000-plus that had come in just like that to help get this start, church started, that we would give that kind of money away before Christmas. That we would, uh, we would sow sparingly, as Paul talked to the church at Corinth about, and we would reap sparingly. And God wants to provide for us. Y'all, y'all know last summer at Dueling Hall, we had a snake come up in church, right? A snake slithered in right during the middle of the sermon. And do you know that right now we have a new church member? He's a deacon. Do you know what he does for a living? Part of his, He's a snake grabber. Does God provide or what? <laughs> and here we are. Here we are in the season. Where God is calling us, I believe, to step up for people who've never given to learn to give, for 
people who give occasionally or sporadically to learn to give consistently. For people who do give a percentage, but it's not the percentage that honors God to learn to become a tither. And even for tithers to take another step to prayerfully consider, could I become an extravagant giver? God will multiply your efforts. I love the story of the motorcycle man who came to faith in Jesus. And Jesus was working on his inside. He found a church he could worship at. Christ was working on him, but he still had that same outside, the leather jackets and the tattoos and the piercings and that gruffness. And the pastor stood up one day, like we probably need to do here, and he said, hey, we need some nursery workers. And there was no response. And the second time he stood up, we, we, folks, these children down the hall, they matter to God. And he did it the third time. And that motorcycle man jumped up from the back row and said, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then 20 mamas stood up and said, no, no, we got it, we got it. We got this. Don't underestimate how just your small contribution can be used by God. Now I want to round toward home here by quickly saying, Philippians 4.19, you said it out loud with me. I don't know if you believe it. I don't know if, you, I don't know if your life is, is a testimony. I don't know if that brings you joy, gladness, or sorrow right now. But I want to say, what is the scope? I want you to ask this question. What is the scope? Of all. When God promises He shall supply all your needs, now He does not say He shall supply all your wants, but He will supply all your needs. And I believe it's material and financial. I believe He wants to provide. And I've seen it, y'all, time after time again. And we need to think about another way to do church sometimes. Because maybe sometimes y'all need to, we need to open up a microphone. You're getting nervous, aren't you? Open up a microphone and let you guys tell your stories of how you've seen God provide in your life. But he will meet your material and financial needs. I have seen it many times in my life and yours, whether it's groceries being delivered unexpectedly on the doorstep, whether it's a, a brand new car or some type of new car for you, whether it's extending the life of an old car 50,000 miles, whether it's a pay raise or a promotion or a bonus or teaching us to scale back and live with less, maybe it's stalling the foreclosure of your home or giving you a nice little cozy apartment to live in, but God wants to meet your material and financial needs. He he does. And he, he, trust him to do it his way. It's like the sign that I heard about with the, uh, Dr. John Smith. It said veterinarian and taxidermist. Either way, you're going to get your dog back. <laughs> God wants to provide. He's going to do it in his way, his timing, and on his terms. And he will not only meet your physical needs. Church, I want to tell you, I feel compelled by Christ to tell you this. He will meet your emotional needs as well. And sometimes, and by the way, we're kind of walking through a season where it's heavy now, isn't it? I mean, it's heavy for a lot of people. Anna Owens, a new member, lost her brother a week ago. He was diving in the Buffalo River, or I don't know if he meant to dive. I don't know if anybody knows, but he was with some people. And he jumped, fell, dove, whatever, and hit his head on a rock, and he died instantly. He leaves behind a wife and two little children. Miss Joyce lost her uh, nephew, niece, this week. Eric and Abby are in a serious battle. They're newlyweds. I did their wedding last April, and they're battling. He's battling cancer now. In the last two days, they've gone through intense suffering. And this family at Jackson Prep that we remember, God will meet your emotional needs. And I'm telling you, this is the soft preacher in me. It comes out a lot. But I have seen God be very real in my life. And sometimes, man, it's just a friend, it's an ear, it's an arm around a shoulder, it's an extra special touch from God. 
but he wants to meet our needs. Your material financial needs, your emotional needs, and lastly, let me say, your deepest needs, the needs of your soul. There's a, a writer, some of you have heard the expression, the dark night of the soul. And by the way, one of the natural things for someone who's going through a dark night of the soul, this is pretty intense suffering, they don't come to church. Let me say this, how interesting is this? I'm going to drop a thought bomb on you. I hope it explodes in some of you. If you ask people who do not believe in God, you ask them the number one reason they will say to you, suffering, because of suffering. If you ask people who do believe in God, what's the number one thing that's helped them grow spiritually and get closer to God, they will say resoundingly, suffering. The dark night of the soul was a, a phrase coined by a monk who a monk named John, John who, Gary? I can't hear you. John, St. John of the Cross. He's on the front row. I've got a problem over here. St. John, we talked about it last night. But it's sitting by his bedside. St. John of the Cross wrote The Dark Night of the Soul, a, a monk who lived in Spain in the 16th century. And he uh, sought to bring reform in the church. And in so doing, he became unpopular by some and ultimately imprisoned. And during that time of confinement, he wrote how God works in us to grow us, not so much through joy and light, but through disappointment, through loss, through pain. I know a man named Dieter Zander. He was at one time, Topher, like the worship leader, I would say, in America. He worked at the, in the 80s and 90s at uh, the most high-profile church, Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois, outside of Chicago. And he was the worship leader. He was an artist, a musician, and a teacher. This guy would play every instrument. He'd play the keyboards. And he would at sometimes uh, he would uh, put blood on the keyboards because of the way he was just working the fingernails and everything. He had facilities engineers up in the mezzanine say, hey, don't do that song because the whole place is just rocking. We're going we're gonna to break the balcony. And in his late 40s, Dieter Zander felt a numbness and felt a pain. And he shook violently and had a seizure. Six days later, he woke up from a coma, lost most of um, his physical prowess. And this music that was in him, uh, these words and the music that would just flow out of this guy, uniquely gifted guy, it was all now trapped in his brain. Dieter Zander today... Uh, the man who once worked on a stage and was applauded and sought after by thousands of people in the spotlight works in a back stock room at a Trader Joe's in the San Francisco Bay Area, a windowless office. And when food is about to be discarded, they bring it to Dieter. If a pear falls and gets bruised, they bring it back there to Dieter. If there's an apple that's about to rot, they, get it, they bring it back there, and he will get it to homeless people who really don't care if there's a bruise on their apple. And Dieter Zander wrote these words about God being a provider. This sentence took him about two hours to write. It is good that I work here. I'm like that fruit. I am imperfect. Inside, I am the same person the same sense of humor, the same thoughts. But my words betray me. What should take three minutes to say is an hour of frustration. People lose patience with me. Aphasia means aloneness, but God hears me. My world is small and quiet and slow and simple. No stage, no performance, more real, good. 
He was visiting with a pastor friend I know in the Bay Area. And this pastor said that he took out a whiteboard and they grew impatient with him as he wrote a verse out. And this guy said, I knew the verse he was about to write. It was John chapter 21. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And on the bottom of that board, he wrote the word, good. I believe God will supply all of your needs according to your glorious, according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Church, I want to tell you, I believe he's called us to be on a journey. And I want to challenge you this morning before you go. This is going to be, this is going to be the awkward part for some of you, but not for me. I just feel, I feel brazen and bold. I feel under the care of God. I know somebody in the room is not going to come back because I did this this morning. But I want to teach you because you see stewardship is discipleship. And I want to ask you this morning to be on a journey with us. If God is calling you here, if you're a visitor, man, sit this out. I want to give you, in fact, a 120-day money-back guarantee. We're going to have cards we're going to get, mail them to you. If we have your email, your mailing address, address, you can pick them up in the couple of weeks ahead. Realizing that trust is the single most important factor of relationship and that God says, test me in this. I take this step of trust by committing the first 10% of my income to the Lord through Fondra Church, if this is your church. I will begin tithing. I will return to tithing. I already tithe. A few months ago, I sat by a man who just got out of rehab. And we've talked this morning about $1,000 checks and $30,000 checks and $75,000 checks, and a lot of you don't have that. But I sat by this man who smelled like he had just gotten out of rehab. And he put a $25 check in the plate. And he said, he bragged to me, he probably lost his reward in heaven, but he bragged to me and he said, man, I've never been able to do this before. I've never done this my first time. I would love for your life to be a testimony. You see, we want to be a generous church. Uh, Jeff Hightower is our new executive pastor, and I told Jeff in a one-on-one meeting, I said, lead our finance team. And I want our church to have integrity, transparency, and unbelievable generosity. We want to be internally audited and externally audited. We want you to be able to punch something on an app and see everything. Our hands will be clean. You'll know where it's going. Man, we want to save this building And we want to serve this community. And I want to ask you this morning, I'm not shrinking back from it. Some of you, man, I am appalled at the number of people who say they'll trust God for their prayers. They'll trust God for the eternal destiny, but they're not willing to go first and trust God in their finances. And I want to invite you to join with me in a journey. And it's been a glorious journey, wouldn't you agree? And it's a hard journey at times. Uh, We're experiencing some hardship now, but we want to give more than we've ever given before because our God is a provider. Would you pray with me? God, I pray no one in here would be felt imposed upon, but Lord, you would inspire us to think about our lives. Lord, I pray you would move folks in the the weeks ahead to step up, and Lord, that we would have stories, and that, uh, Lord, we we would just remarkably see how you're providing for us. 
And Lord, what an opportunity we have to renovate this old space. It's already underway. And Lord, as the pastor here, we're trusting you. We're leading out and trusting you to provide for us. God, I pray that today no one leaves thinking we've asked something from them. But above that, Lord, that they see that we're, we're desiring something for them. Lord, I pray for ongoing stories like we'll see tonight at Fondren Covered where $5,000 from this church will be given to the House of Hope. Where that same amount, $5,000 every single month, is, it goes to single moms and people who need help with bills and groceries and some real needs. And Lord, you've given us a, a benevolence team of wise deacons and leaders to, to, to lead in that area. Lord, as we come around local and global partners so that the gospel goes forth. Lord, I pray that you increase the number of givers and increase our ability to trust you. And Lord, people, people don't hate to talk about money. God, we hate to see money misused. And the church has got to be, we got to be clean and we got to be lean and we got to honor you. And I pray that you give us that so that we can be the church that you want us to be. Lord, for 42 years, I've seen you provide for me in every way. And a few years ago when I left scared, you showed up big. And Lord, some need that in their own lives now. And Lord, I want to be a pastor who will preach it and challenge them, Lord, so they can go first in seeing you provide. In Jesus we pray, amen.